I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no kata. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. We keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, everybody? Well, Wakanda forever. Yeah. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. So today, we got a cool episode for you guys. We got most of the Wu-Tang Clan in the house. Um, Paul Guillaume had, had some other stuff to do, but we got everybody else here. We'll start off with Lisa Bola Kaja. What's up, Lisa? Hey, hanging in here down here in San Diego. We're now at purple level. Ooh. So that means they, they're shutting stuff back down, and we got our curfew. You got to be off the streets at 10 o'clock, between 10 o'clock at night and 5 in the morning. Right. And the, the cops are stopping people up here, so it's like you need to handle your business and get back in the house. So unfortunately, <laughs> we are shutting some things back down again. Right. Then we got Chris Derrick in the house. What's up, Chris? I'm going to go to the movie theater tonight. Oh, you are? What you going to see? That's right. Drive-in of tenants. <laughs> okay, that's not a theater. That's your car. Well. I mean, well, oh, hang on. Drive-ins are legitimate theaters, Jeff. Yes, yes. they're making yes. a comeback. Classic. <laughs> He's having the classic theater experience. Yeah. <laughs> it's vintage. What city is It's in Hollywood. Which one? Where? So there's a place called like there's a Veterans Center on. on oh, Island. it's at it, no, it's 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 the American Legion, Post Forty Three. I, I yes. know it well. Yeah, I've been oh, there. up yeah. across from the Hollywood Bowl. Bro, but, but, but yeah, yeah, exactly. It's right, oh, right, right down the street. I didn't know that. But, okay. but Chris, the tickets are like sixty-five dollars per car. I've been to the movie theater in nine months. I can pay that money because I want to see the movie and I want to go out. Okay, okay. Hey, hey, you know, <laughs> what movie not, is it? you're rolling that deep. Cool, cool. I'm not rolling deep at all. <laughs> but I've been to the movie theater in, in fucking ten months. He's desperate. I'm just trying. What are you saying? (laughs) I mean, I'm just trying to figure out how they're gonna do it because the parking lot there is not actually that big over at Post Forty Three. So, so what they did is, is that when you got your ticket, you have to kind of reserve your parking space, you know, as as part of the buy. So you can pick where it is. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So just like a theater, only with a car. Yeah, <laughs> do you, are you not familiar with the concept of a drive-in movie theater, Jeff? I mean, Girl, I haven't been to a drive-in movie theater since I was eleven years old. I thought they were dead. No, <laughs> no. I mean, there's still probably a couple hundred. I'm a little bit obsessed with them. Actually, I've, I've okay. photographed. I love them. I miss them. Yeah, I I've, miss I've, them. I've photographed several across the country. Anytime I'm like on a road trip or whatever, I do a Google Earth to figure out if any drive-ins around, and I, oh, I take wow. pictures. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I mean, because they're really fascinating to me because. A lot of them are not in the best shape that they might have sure. been 
before, but they're this sort of classic Americana, you know, um, piece of the 50s and 60s that appeared and and rose to prominence and then have been kind of forgotten and and sold off because obviously the land value became an issue. Like you could much, the the people could sell that land and have it developed and make millions as opposed to continue to operate. And what people don't realize, um, Linnell, you know, bring that back that ter- in terms of Americana is there was like a whole cultural experience with that. Like you would get there pre-dust before it got completely dark. Mm-hmm. Most most of the dry vans would have like a playground in the front right mm-hmm. below where the screen runs. So you'd bring your kids. The kids would play around. They would be in their pajamas. So everybody would be dressed. The kids would be in their pajamas, whatever their night clothes were. If you was broke, you'd bring your own Yep. Food and snacks. If you yeah. have a little coinage, you go get your stuff. You bring your bullets. Then, right. And then when the, the it starts to slowly get dark, they would show cartoons, usually a couple of cartoons for the children because that was supposed to help them because they knew people ain't got no babysitters. So you throw your kids in the back of the seat. Right. They'd have the cartoons. And the idea was your kids would fall asleep eventually. And then they had like a double feature and you can watch your movie. And then when the first movie was done, they had an intermission. You could go to the snack bar. You can go to the bathroom. You can get out and stretch your legs get back in, watch the movie again, and then you drive home, and, you know, for, like, back in the old days, it was, like, only a couple bucks, and it was, like, a whole, it was just a whole cultural thing that I, I miss having and seeing, and I just, I, I was like, hey, when we would do road trips and stuff, and we go by and see, like, the big, you know, drive-in things and stuff, that was, like, a, a big deal, and I, I miss those, and, you know, in the future, they might start bringing that back, and I wish they would, because, you know, you're, it was a bang for your buck. And now they got it where, I think most of them now, well, the, the ones that are still around, where you don't have to do that little tiny speaker that used to stick on the side of your window. Oh, you, you, just, you can just go on through your speakers, like whatever you know, channel they had, you can just turn it on, and then you have the host surround sound in your car. Right, pretty much, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's an experience, and, I, and I'm like you, I miss it too. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, definitely an American thing, and you know what? They might have to bring it back. You think it'll stick around after we put this virus away? Well, that's if the virus goes away. <laughs> yeah, it's going away. It's going away. <laughs> I'll it's watch some away. shit today. Or today, you know, once again, talking about the Tuskegee experiment. And, and, and mm-hmm. they were saying that, that only 14% of black people believe in the vaccine. I was like, God damn. God damn. <laughs> well, if we're going to go in this direction, I'm going to tell you, I've been saying this for years. In print and elsewhere, racism will kill the United States. And the fact that black people feel that way is based entirely on the racism that they have faced. They have absolute legitimate reasons to go, um, we're going to sit back and let y'all test this out. And exactly. I mean, the book Medical uh, Apartheid that came out a few years ago, it, it, it talks about that. Tuskegee, Henry Lacks, the forced sterilizations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Literally in 2020, like in early, like, what is it, April, you have those two French guys basically saying we should be testing a vaccine on the Africans first. They yes. publicly said this. So yeah. if you are a black person, I know people joke about it. And I know because Letitia Wright said all that stuff and posted that video. A sane black person, there's nothing wrong with a black person questioning a vaccine. Right. But That's science right. is still science. I don't, I don't give a fuck. Science is still science as long as it's transparent. But, I, 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 but I'm also of the vein of I'm gonna wait till some other folks take it first and see how they do. That was my thing. And this then I'll take it. This is my thing. I want to see the top people in Congress, mm. you know, yeah. 
president, vice president, speaker of the house, the the, the, Senate, the Senate majority leader, I want you all to be sitting out and let someone from the crowd <laughs> and pull out from, you know, there's probably some, this whole little like box of vaccine vials, right? So, right. You, let, so you let someone from the crowd, you know, just choose it at random. It's going to be the lottery. Okay. We're going to do the vaccine lottery. Now. It's going to be Shirley Jackson. I, well, I understand what you're saying, Chris, but if, it, if the fix was in that deep, it doesn't matter which pen you choose. Whichever pen you, all the pens in that box are going to be perfect viral cures. <laughs> so you can randomly cure, choose from the audience. So what? You know, but, you know we're, in, we're in sad times where they have to have ex-presidents, former presidents, where they have to say that they got to have Clinton, Bush, and Obama get on TV and let people watch them getting a vaccine. That's how stupid and dumbed down we've been. Like, you know, Malcolm X said the chickens are coming home to roost. He was about 40 years early mm-hmm. saying so. But um, Trump is our chickens. And what he has done is he has pushed everybody into multiple polar positions. Everybody's polar. They say we're divided. Like, we're not more divided than we've ever been. People just took their masks off. I agree. A whole bunch of people who are walking around with masks exactly. took their masks off. Here's my question, though, because we were in Scottsdale over the holiday, and I would, we were, me and my husband were sitting in the hot tub. We were looking up at the beautiful sky, and I said, <clears throat> I said, well, shit, even if they come out with this thing, I don't know if I'm going to take it immediately. I mean, maybe, maybe by March or April or something, I'll take it. And he said, he says, well, I'm going to take it. And I was like, what? Like shocked, <laughs> and he said, he said, well, like what you were saying, Lisa. Well, science, like they do, blah blah blah. And I said, but I thought it said like fifteen, eighteen months to do it. Well, how did they get it so fast? I don't trust that one for some reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he was like, no, you know, it'll be yada yada yada. And I was like, mm. you know. So we were kind of going back and forth on that. So what's what's what do we know? Well, here's what I would say to that too. You got to remember from the point of view of the pharmaceutical company. There's no vaccine. There's no virus. There's nothing to contend with. So they got a, let's say, randomly, 15 projects that they've got going. They got cure for X, cure for Y, cure for Z that they've got in process. They know they got to jump through the FDA hoops. This is all part of their budgetary annual or more than multi-year plan, right? We're about to drop a cure for cancer in 2030. (laughs) We're on track to drop a straight panacea for cancer in 2030. And then, boom, COVID-19, right? So everything else gets shelved. Right. Everything else gets pushed to the back burner. They didn't invoke the whatchamacallit act to force them to do that. But they're not stupid. They're looking at the bottom line. You got to have people to vaccinate for this other shit. So if a whole bunch of people about to die. Let's save them so we can sell them some more shit down the line. Like, I don't think it's altruistic. It's definitely not that, which is actually good. Right. It's about the bottom line. So things that were okay, we'll get around to this SARS, you know, this SARS thing, which doesn't really affect that many people eventually, but there's not as much money in it. But now there's all right. the money in it. Right. Plus, company over here said, you know what, you're right, we're jumping on that. We're going to be the first in the pool with the best vaccine ever. Oh, God damn it, says Pfizer. No, no, you're not. Oh, hell no, you're not. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's a, a foot race. But it's, the science is the science, right? It can be as fast as they want on the intentional side. They can throw all the money they want on the intentional side, but at the end of the day, they're dealing with the same viral issue. So at some point, every team, if it wasn't fixable, each team would come up with, you know what, guys, this one might be the one that's going to kill us all. Hmm. Like, we don't know how to cure smallpox yet. We're trying really hard. The best minds on the planet are on it. 
18 months in, we got shit. We got nothing. That's what would happen if that's what happened. Right? right? Because it's hard science. There's no opinions involved here. There's different approaches, but the problem is the same. How do we build a bridge across this chasm? Right? We can build it out of wood. We can build it out of sticks. We can build it out of glass. But at some point, we got to get to the other side of this freaking chasm. And if it's not possible under current conditions, each one of those teams would fail. They wouldn't show up and go, we've got it. They wouldn't be able to because it would kill them financially to pretend that they do. Right? What we can't, I'm sorry, one second. What we cannot know because they haven't released this data is, and this is why black people are not wrong to be concerned. When they do the sample test, who's in their test, their test category? Of that 1,000 or 10,000 people, right. how many of them were of African descent? And another thing, women should be thinking about this, too. For mm-hmm. years, medicine only looked at male bodies. They only ever tested male bodies wow, for anything. Huh. For anything. That's, that's, that's true. Right? How, how many women died of heart attacks because no one knew what the symptoms were for a woman having a heart attack? They are completely different. Than what a man has when he has a heart attack. No one was even looking. So the science was fine, but the test subjects were not varied enough. So I don't know who's in their pool, their sample pool. And if I'm a black American who's not stupid, who's not crazy listening to some some religious guru (laughs) telling him it's the work of the devil, Mm -hmm. that's some nonsense. But to to dismiss concerns out of hand, who Mm -hmm. did you test the vaccine on? What are the side effects? They know what will do if somebody has high blood pressure or diabetes or something. Like, what what are the variables you introduced into your testing pool? Because if you're just talking about Joe Blow from an Amish community, you tested 8,000 Amish people who've been interbreeding with each other for the last four generations. Now, come on. There's no no evidence of interbreeding. Come on. (laughs) Have you ever seen a deaf Amish person? Listen. Have you ever seen a blind Amish person? Where are those I'm, kids going? I'm not going to make. There got to be some. I'm not going to make negative <laughs> comments. What are they doing with those kids, Linnell? Where are they going? What are they doing with those kids? Leave, leave the Amish alone. Just let them live. <laughs> Just let them live. They don't no, listen. I, to, to, to your point, though, in turn, I have a I have a general mistrust of the medical community. I've had it for almost my entire life. For me, I'm concerned that you guys have you know now we have this vaccine, mm-hmm. you know, in record time, but yet you still somehow miss ad- uh, addressing why black women have a higher mortality rate in terms of childbirth. And, right. you know, right. like this has been a systemic issue, but that can't get addressed. Or you haven't addressed high blood pressure in the black community mm-hmm. and you give this pat answer, oh, it's just genetic. Well, find out what is triggering that genetic, right. you know, reaction, if you will. Like, you guys didn't have time for that. But for this COVID vaccine, all of a sudden, yeah, we've got the answers in 18 months. So I just feel like, I never feel like I get the answers from the medical community specific to me as a black woman, you know, in terms well, you of said like, it. You said it, it doesn't affect them. Well, yeah. Well, there's, right. no, there's no money in it. There's exactly no right. It's exactly, it's, it's what Jeff said, because black people have, you know, are disproportionately poorer, you know, why do I need to, you know, fuck, you know, like, like, I mean, look, they, you know, there were studies that came out that doctors think black women can take more pain yeah, and uh, other yeah. people. So, so t- I read about that. I was like, well, that's why they die in childbirth more because they're like, I ain't gonna give you the damn morphine and shit like that. And you know, I mean, it, look, if you suffer in pain, just that, I mean, that internal pain that can kill you. Mm-hmm. You know, that will kill you. 
Well, Serena Williams almost died after she gave gave birth to her baby. Serena Williams, the highest paid black woman athlete. No, I didn't know about Beyonce. Beyonce came out and said she almost lost hers, yeah. So it's not an issue of the socioeconomic level because those women have money for for you know for generation yes. you know right. it's not about money so the, the best food peak physical conditions right. Right. you know exactly. and exactly. so yeah sometimes excuse gets made oh well it's because they they live in bad neighborhoods and eat bad food i was like serena's not eating anything no. bad at she's all. the best athlete in human history <laughs> exactly perfectly fine right right but this is what i'm saying when i say racism will kill us it's not going to kill just black people right this 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 undercurrent of we don't want to talk about it. Why don't y'all shut up about it? You guys are making this shit up now. Mm-hmm. You've been making up the police brutality all these years. Really? Well, now everybody's got cameras. <laughs> look what we look what we suddenly yeah. discovered. There ought to be a commission. Yeah, we should do a, a commission and study. We've been telling you <laughs> since the end of slavery that people have been doing this shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but now your daughter's self. No, we don't need we don't need no study. We just need to stop it. That's that's basic. Just, just stop, stop it and won't be no problem. Don't start now, won't be none. You know? We're having the same. We're having the initial same discussion now. I promise you, the media will position the black community like this. I promise you, there will be a bunch of stories like, "Well, these are people who are not the most educated. These are street level people. These are blue, quote unquote, blue collar people," right. and they will immediately dismiss the. They'll say, "Oh, and you know, the Tuskegee thing happened back in the past." No, 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 no. This is some current shit. Mm-hmm. We are supposed to be pain tolerant. We're supposed to be immune to things. Why do cops keep shooting us? Because they think we have super freaking powers, that it's going to take 36 shots to put me down because I'm the freaking Hulk. The first two are just going to piss me off, and then I'm going to lift the car and throw it at you. They always say I fear for my life. I'm like, what, from that 11-year-old with a cap gun? What was he going to do? Throw wings and shoot lasers out of his eyes? Like, no. (laughs) But I feel that they're legitimately terrified, right? Because this racist undercurrent of you're different than us you're different than us and we don't want to hear about it from your side so Linnell's point is exactly right black women die in childbirth to this day at a much higher rate that's nonsense right i mean at the rate that, that makes us a third world country in terms of you know exactly uh, exactly mortality during pregnancy like it's it's ridiculous wow. so the medical community writes us off in a certain way they feel like the book is closed on us they don't need to research they don't know. and partly it's because not enough money is coming at them from our communities right if they were like where's where's an injection that cures me of sickle cell anemia well i guarantee you some freaking actuary was like well, how many people really even have that? Right. Like, no, why, no, no. why are we going to spend millions of dollars curing some shit that only a few hundred thousand people have? So <laughs> what? Right. What are you saying, Chris? <laughs> He's going to say, how many non-urban people have that? Is what he's going to say. Right. But well, you know, there's probably two, right? So, so you don't need to spend no money on this. <laughs> so that's the downside. The horrible downside is you're, it isn't unreasonable it's going to be difficult to argue certain intelligent black people out of this because it's not unreasonable to hold this position. But the upside is this is a global pandemic, actually, including Africa, right? Global. It's not, it's not, it's not like Africa is not getting hit. So if you come up with a vaccine that doesn't cure Africans, you've cured nothing. You literally cured nothing. <laughs> so um, the fact that they've rushed to it and they spent probably billions of dollars at this point trying to get it done um, 
sort of pushes back against the idea that it won't work on us or it'll give us worse side effects or some shit like that. Not because they care about the side effects, but that, you know, how viruses are, if you don't stamp it out, the ones you didn't stamp out are going to be that much harder to kill. So you have to get it. You have to get it. This takes me to <laughs> Chris, Chris Rock's Bigger and Blacker, who says they can, but they won't. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's like, uh, you know, you can build a spaceship that goes up to, you know, see the moon and all that other stuff, but you can't, you can't build a, a Cadillac to fix my Eldorado, you know what I mean, the, the, the bumper won't fall off, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, they can, but they won't, because I was thinking about, like, how in the world did they speed up this process when it said it was going to take 15 to 18 months? All of a sudden, they do it in, like, eight or seven or eight, you know what I mean? And I'm like, well, how, Oh, well, they can, but they so, won't. So there's probably two things on it. There's probably two things on it. It's like, it's like, it's it's basically what Jeff was saying. They, you know, they've been dealing with these like coronaviruses, you know, for, for whatever the last twenty years. I mean, these little outbreaks, blah blah. blah. Right. So there's there's already been some science, and it's like what Jeff said. They shut everything else down. All research was shut down, mm. and said, let's you know. And, and let's get everyone who's on the payroll and who's on a consultant to fucking like, you know, to come and, and look at this shit, you know, because you're right. Because usually like, these other things like, um, you know, whatever, polio and shit like that. I mean, like, you know, like those things weren't affecting a lot of people, they, it, you know, but it wasn't a if there was a polio pandemic. They would have stopped that shit quick. You know? <laughs> exactly. It wasn't. Yeah, exactly. It was like it's this this rare. I mean, you hear about it, be like, who the fuck had it? The mumps or the measles? But you but, but you don't know who has it. The Roosevelt you know? had it. Roosevelt. Roosevelt had it. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, no. But I mean, it, you know, had polio. You know, people had it. You know, I mean, yeah. like Roosevelt did. Francis Coppola did. You know, but people had it. But I'm saying it wasn't this widespread thing like it is now, where it's like, it's, you know. What, what, there's, there's 20,000 people a day getting it now, showing yeah. up now, just, you know, it's crazy yeah. ass numbers and yeah. shit, you know, so. Well, this this became our version of the space race, right? Who's going to be the first exactly. to move? Exactly. So that's where all resources, all money, every scientist, everyone that's who's right. a sort of scientist, everybody who kind of took science, everybody who kind of read a biology book, everybody can come on board <laughs> and let's get this thing done because we need to beat the Russians to the moon. <laughs> that's yeah. really what happened. But I mean, and not to get all hillbilly, hillbilly elegy, um, but, you know, you, you, black people are, are nervous about the vaccine. But then you also have a huge swath of the white community, typically in rural areas, who is looking at Facebook and looking at OAN and very and they're not going to take the vaccine either because they're very like, first of all, they don't, some right. of them don't even believe there was a, a pandemic. And exactly. That's, they don't so believe that there's a thing. So we're still going to have a significant population run around to Jeff's point that is not going to be taking the vaccine or, or be involved and what happens when they get on a plane, you know, but well, know, what if there's a lot of factors. If they, get the, if they get the rest of us up to, I think it's Chris, 80%. Can you, can you mute? Thank you. If they get us up to 80% immunity with the, with 80% of us vaccinated, that 20% of idiots, they won't get sick and they won't make us sick because the virus won't have very many places to take hold. The biggest concerns really, to me, seem to be longevity of vaccination. How long does it hold, right? And how quickly we can get up to that 80% magic number, magic percentage, because while we're getting up there, the virus is still mutating, right? While we're getting there, it's still going, oh, really? All right, 
Let's see. Let me crack my knuckles. <laughs> oh, you you thought this was very like okay. Version five point five. Here it comes. Yeah. yeah it's like yeah. the virus will be like, oh, okay. I thought this was in practice, man. You know, <laughs> um, like let me loosen up real quick. Give me that corner man. Throw some water on my face, right? But um, the truth is, we have a lot of news news flavored product. Which, what Linnell just said, Fox News, OAN, these, uh, these I hate OAN. news, but they're injecting bullshit into people's heads. But the reason it works is because they're telling them what they already wish to believe. And that's why it sits in. And nobody wants to think the worst. Like, we all have this friend who told us one of his kids has, uh, has the virus. And there are multiple different reactions to that kid getting infected. And a lot of that reaction is, I don't wish to believe it. I don't wish to believe the numbers are true. I think these numbers are too big. Like, there's no way this many people this quickly. I just can't accept that. You know, it's magical thinking in the negative sense, right? Um, If I don't believe in it hard enough, it won't get near me, right? And I don't know how you get around that emotional response because it's such a big fear response. Like, there's such a fear on the other side of that. I don't know that those people are going to let those walls down. We've seen these news stories, right, where people are literally dying and the doctors are trying to help them. And they're like, why are you treating me like I have this fake disease? And they're like, baby, you're about to check out from this fake disease. It's not fake. You are lying. You are dead, right? Because even at the death's door, it's harder for them to accept what it really is because there's all this other shit going on in their head. I don't know how we get around it. My philosophy is always, if you have 15 people and five of them won't move, move the 10 that will. And the five will either stay or they will move with us because they'll have to, whether they like it or not. Like, if you can't convince them, don't bother. Just get those people you can convince and hope that's enough. And the rest will be fixed anyway, right? It'll be fixed whether they do it or not. That's right. So... Bye-bye, Gene Pool. Bye-bye, Gene Pool. Yeah, that Pool just shriveled up. My apologies to the audience. I didn't realize I'd introduce Jeff Thorne, Linnell White. Oh, shit. We didn't even do all the introductions. <laughs> we just we started talking. We start talking. <laughs> <laughs> introduce yourself. <laughs> Welcome to uh, the room. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess we just went straight rants. So. But this is where we are. But this is where we are in 2020. It's like let's let's dispense with the pleasantries. Let's just go right in. Like that's yeah. I mean, December 2020. We've been on lockdown for how long? I mean, it's just you know, it's it's been a lot. So yeah, we're not all you know being yeah. as polite or as or as or thoughtful as we as we should be or normally would be because we're all handling a lot of stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, my name's Jeff Thorne, and I write TV shows. And comic books and stuff. <laughs> uh, I sometimes am on the rat room and with these lovely people, some combination of these lovely people. <laughs> That's hilarious. I hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Ghost, so, Ghost is about to drop, right? Tonight? Ghost dropped. My episode went last. Well, it's on today. It came in. It started at midnight last night, right. my episode of Ghost. Um, yeah, it's fun. I love that. It was crazy. Book, book uh, two. Book two. Yes. Book two, um, it's all Tariq all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, like, for me, well, two things. Like, it just aired, and it was really right after we shot that, I left New York and came back to L.A., and about a week after that, COVID. So, right. um, 
like COVID started rearing its head in New York. People forget New York was like blast zone, right? Ground zero was New York City. And um, we weren't sure on the show what that was even going to mean. My wife, who works in disaster relief, was like, you're asked not going in the office anymore. You're going to be in the house because you have a bunch of um, secondary conditions and you will not be in. I'm like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, sir, ma'am, ma'am, sir. <laughs> uh, but uh, what's weird is watching the episode was like picturing what I was doing in New York at the time all the things that were going on in New York at the time. I went to see some shows when I was off. I met a whole bunch of great people. There's the crew and the cast, this young cast of people. Mm -hmm. um, they came to play. Some of these people have is their first big, um, you know, first big role, big prominent role. Um, and watching them just eat it up. And then for me as a fanboy, working with Method Man and Mary J. And Mary J. Shit, that's crazy. Two for one. <laughs> I, the only thing I can think of is if they, they were in the same room together, like in my head, all I would be singing to myself, all they need to get by, everything came in the room, I should be bopping my head, it's like, I'm not going to ask him to sing it or do anything, but that's all I'm going to be thinking of when I see him. You turn into like the king and queen of discipline, right? Because in your head, you're like, and then outside in the world, you're like, so, um, Mary, uh, the line is, uh, <laughs> uh, could you pull that back a second and let Woody get his line out real quick? You're doing it right emotionally, but um, he needs to, that line's important for the plot, so we need to actually hear the Cool? Cool. Great. <laughs> right? In, in your head. <laughs> oh, my God, I just said something Mary Kay Blige! Ah! Right? Like, you know, people, I hope people don't become immune to that shit as they go forward. Like, like that was the soundtrack of my of many of my years. Like yeah, yeah. Method Man, Wu Tang for Life, baby. I was like, mm. holy crap, it's Method Man, <laughs> Cliff. Right, but and they can act. both of them. I yeah. was like, and for him, um, that guy is a delight. If mm. you ever get him an opportunity to work with him on your set, um, he is a literally a sunbeam of light on your day. Like you come in. He had a bad morning one day. Some some shit that's not my story to tell happened before work, and he came in pissed off. Like this happened to me on the way, and it was sit like, oh damn, brother, oh my god, like what the fuck? And you came in anyway, holy, you know, like that. Soon as it was time to work, click, and all the people who came in after that moment have no clue that he had a bad morning, yeah. and he rolled for another sixteen hours like that, and he was just on his game, on his game, happy to play. You know, like, you want every performer to be like uh, Mr. Method Man. Yeah. Like, every performer should be like Hey, hey like Jeff, did he, did he come in in his little slippers? Uh, he wore slippers at one point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, he's, like, also, I mean, we, him and me are roughly the same age. Uh -huh. <laughs> I need to live in the gym at this point. Like, <laughs> people were, like, swooning behind this guy. Like, women... Gay women were like, <laughs> damn, is yeah. it hot in here? And I was like, yeah, it's kind of hot. God damn. Like, that's yeah, he's been, he's, been, he's been taking care of himself, which is good to see because, oh, you know, a lot Lord, of our legendary Lord, people, they get up in age, but he's, he's oh, been taking care of himself. I was very upset with Jeff. Every day I went home like, okay, <laughs> okay. Hilarious. Uh, but yeah, it was fun, and, and it's a good crew. Courtney Kemp is the showrunner on that, mm -hmm. and I never worked with her before. Um, the way I got the gig, I think I told you guys this in one of the other shows, but we just geeked out about 
the Avengers at one point, and she hired me, and I had a really good time as a very young, young writing staff. I was either the oldest or the second oldest person in there. Um, you were number two. All, yeah, I was a number two on that on that show. But remember, this woman has three other spinoffs Jeez. coming off of this show. She was doing Raising wow. Canaan at the same time. Um, there's a couple others coming. There's the Tommy show coming. Um, there's the, um, the, 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 what's it called? I forget what it's called. The one about the legal legal and political systems in right. New York. Right. right. Um, all in the spinoffs of power. And she's raising these things up all at the same time. Like, I don't really think adequate attention has been paid to this. Mm-hmm. Like, even Shonda built her empire piece by piece as she True. went along. This was like, power's amazing! Make four of them! Right. And she's doing it. And it's just her. And she was cheerful, um, never sick at sea, mm-hmm. you know, fashion <laughs> came came looking good, came in lit, you know what I mean? <laughs> Every day on her shit. And uh, I thank her for letting me come back from animation because I did a tweet about this on my on my um, Twitter because apparently my only contact with the real world is fucking Twitter right now. <laughs> but um, there's a prejudice in our in our live action side against yep. animation writers. And when I went off to do Black Panther, there's a whole bunch of people like I guess the animation guys got him. Like he's gonna go be animation now forever. Mm-hmm. That she's rejected us, idiots. Yeah. You know, and it was kind of a. It wasn't grim yet, but it was looking kind of grim for a minute. Like, oh, I, I guess that was a bad choice if I wanted to. And she called me in to meet. We met. She gave me this gig. She made sure I got paid what a guy at my rank is supposed to get paid, mm-hmm. which she didn't have to do. Like, I got nothing but good things to say about her, even though I'm not going to be back on season two. Yeah. Right. Um, the show's going to go in a direction that really I was not a good fit for. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with it. But, and so we had a talk, and I'm not going to be back. I'm now on Magnum PI. Yeah. But um, really gear shifted. But for Courtney, the Kempire must grow. Like, <laughs> we all hail the Kempire. Yeah. Like, that, 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 she is, she's a writer's writer. She's, yeah. she's here for us. Well, I mean, it's we talk about this all the time on the show about how there are certain people who are anointed in this business and mm-hmm. they are sort of like on a pedestal and we're all looking up and they keep getting multiple projects and they're always in the trades and they're always on the mm-hmm. red carpet and we yeah. see like we see these celebrity writer types running around. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. you have on the other hand you have the Courtney Kemps who are just quietly going about their business doing right. their thing. She's you know? about it. Right. <laughs> she's she's really about it and some of these other people is what I'm getting at. Or like, yeah, I'll, I have someone else co-write it with me. I have someone else do like, no, she's handling it. Is was is, is the way you seem to be explaining it, Jeff? As opposed to like sometimes I, I, so busy tweeting at these other folks, and you and we all know who they are. Yeah, you know that have multiple projects here, there, everywhere, scattered really thin, but aren't really doing the work. They just sort of like they just put the name on it. Yeah, you know what you do too. Like everybody has big dreams, right? Every, what they say, everybody's got hoop dreams, yeah. but like. Even myself, I, I obviously everybody wants eventually to have their own show, right? I, the best possible world would be I'm running a show I made yeah. up, right? And I have a bunch of writers under me, and I get to decide everything, and I don't have to ask anybody except fight with the network about little tiny nothing, right? This woman has actually more than just the this, the, the the power spinoff. She's got other projects also going. So let's say she has six projects going at once, and when I say at once, one started at like. Ghost was first, 
So it was a little bit further along, but about a third of the way into us making Ghost, Raising Canaan gets going, right? right? And it's just one more, put more on the plate, put more on the plate. And I'm like, plus she's a single mom, wow. right? Her daughter is not a baby. She's a, a, a child child and very, very precocious child. <laughs> so like, that's a child that requires attention, not in a bad way. She's great, but she, and she's a mom. She's not like a, you know, handed off to the nanny type, right? right? So she's doing all of this stuff, plus being a black black woman and i mean i was like maybe one show for jeff i thought i was bad but like i think one show would pretty much do it for me i don't know that i can do like nine freaking shows or five freaking shows at the same time <laughs> i don't know if i want to try to do that right like at this point and she's just like she's on a plane she's got to go do these functions she's and the one thing i have to say for men we don't have to look as good at these functions as women have to make sure they look good. So she's got to do gowns for this thing. She's got to do something casual but hot for this thing. You know, like all kinds of crazy stuff you never even think about as a writer. Because yeah. you think, I'm just going to write and run my show, which is largely what she does. But there is a PR element. There's a, there's a news element. There's a dealing with the giant money is being shifted around element from the network side. If your studio is being bought by somebody else, and then when they come in, you got to deal with these new people, right? Plus, and I didn't even know this, power is number two after Game of Thrones in terms wow. of world popularity. It's Game of Thrones, and then a very close second, Power. That's huge. So well, 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 hold on, hold on. I, I, I'm going to have to correct you on that. Uh -oh. I would say that Power is number one because everyone has forgotten about Game of Thrones. <laughs> wow. <laughs> After the finale, right? <laughs> <laughs> talking about Game of Thrones at all anymore and people are lit up about this ghost spinoff. They but, hit the bed so hard on Game of Thrones that no one ever <laughs> talks about it ever again. They never talk about it. It's crazy so because this, that show had a stranglehold on, the, on not just the Hollywood community but just like the culture at large. Right. And then it's, it's, it's only been off the air for about a year, right? Jesus Christ. It's, no, it's it's got it's got to be more more like in like two years, I think. No, no, it's 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 it came didn't it come out in it came out in twenty nineteen. <laughs> it's only been eighteen months. Wow. At the, wow. at the most, it's wow. not two years. Not two years yet. <laughs> That's been forgotten about as if it came on in the fifties. Wow. It's Playhouse ninety and shit. Like goddamn, damn it, what? That's terrible. It's true. Well, I. I think part of that why it fell out of Zeitgeist so so quickly is because it ended it ended in a way that was so unsatisfactory to the fans. Mm -hmm. And let yeah. this be a, let this be a lesson to all of us. It's like, and I've seen this, you know, in a pandemic. I've been watching Battlestar Galactica, the Ronald Moore version. Mm -hmm. okay. And you know, and Chris, you know this. I've I've been texting you. You know, it, it is there are certain shows I think everyone should watch in terms of maybe it's not the content maybe you're interested in. But watch how you can clearly see where a show is firing on, on all cylinders, like at, a, at the highest levels. And then it hits a point it, it, and it just starts to decline. And I think there's, there's stuff to be learned from that decline as well. And I saw it with Battlestar Galactica. I could see the point where they ran out of gas mm. and they just, sort of, just started like, OK, now what can we do? And, th and they kind of didn't have a plan going forward and things kind of fell apart. And I think with Game of Thrones, same thing. It's kind of like 
fallen off because it just went off the rails for people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So polarizing. Oh, oh, for sure. Like, I mean, you're right about, I mean, you're, I mean, you're right about Battlestar too. I mean, but I, I don't think the drop in Battlestar was as sharp as the drop in Game of Thrones because in Game of Thrones, they took that final season and they cut it, into, they cut it into two seasons, if you remember, and right. both were terrible. Two short seasons, and yeah. It, and it just got progressively worse. And, and you were kind of like, you made me wait a year for some shit? Oh, hell no. <laughs> and then that was it for them. Well, I don't know. I don't know why. We don't, we, we, wow. don't need to compare, we don't need to compare the two shows. I mean, the last couple seasons of Battlestar were split. Matter of fact, season four ended with the writer strike. And they weren't sure if they were ever going to come back for the second half of season four to do the other 10 episodes. So it was a huge break there for them as well. I'm just saying it for educational purposes for screenwriters. There are some shows you, you, you can watch and you can learn where it's like it's hitting it, it's working, everything's great. And then you'll see where it's, it's, it's fascinating to see where things kind of hit the wall. And then you see the writers just struggling and, throwing, and just throwing spaghetti at the wall, like seeing what sticks. And things just sort of like the foundation is not only there for the show because you veered so far off course and you can't rebuild the house. Yeah. Um, it's just fascinating to see. No, it's, it is it because I, I, you know, but it's one of the things too that it's like, you know, there's a moment when a show needs to end when it's popular, but you know that the, that the network is not going to let it end. Exactly. They're going to milk it dry yeah. and just, uh. well, I there's think, a, but I feel an, like there's now an it's well, there's an inherent problem with trying to end a TV show anyway, because when we all sit down and write our pilots, we are trying to create an engine that thus goes on forever for infinity. Yeah. We are trying to give you a, such a strong story engine. It's like a Ferrari. All you got to do is just keep putting a little gas in it. It'll go forever. Right. Yeah. So when you try and end something that you initially designed to last forever, nine times out of ten, it's not going to be satisfying. So people are still mad about The Sopranos. The way it ended, you know. Oh I mean, my God, people get salty as hell about that. Oh well, recently, I, I, I'm thinking recently too of Supernatural. You know, like once they had their finale and how people were just talking, and you know, for certain communities it was like kind of polarizing, and people were just like, eh, and it's like 15 years, 15 years. It's not, it's not going to be, yeah, it's not going to be perfect. Um, you know, that was a good long run, very uneven. You know, and you know, it's just. You do what you can, and hopefully, you know, you do a little fan service in the conclusion, and you try to, to make people happy, but I don't know. Uh, well, I think in the old days, too, like, shows had 22-episode runs. Now they get up about 13, and then it's that's pretty much you're maxed out. Yep. Um, maybe that'll change after COVID, but probably not because of the way the streamers are going to work it. But um, let's say Linnell and I create a show, and we love our show, and we even know how the show will end, Right. But about three seasons in, either we break up as a partnership or we both decide we want to do something else now because other opportunities have arisen. The show's going to still go. They bring in Chris, our good friend Chris, who knows the show. Maybe he was even working on the show as our number two. Would you like to run the show? Yes, I would. But Chris is going to have his own ideas, right? right? Once we're actually gone, he's going to do maybe four episodes that are like our episodes. <laughs> and it's going to start turning into the Chris show as well it should, Right. So theoretically, that's kind of how you could pump Supernatural all the way to the end. But it's also a problem. What I would like to think is, what I would like to think is, when John Rogers said on Leverage, because I always ask him this, 
So how's it going to end? Because we're not, you know, these people aren't going to be 60 running around doing these cars. <laughs> you know, not going to be a 90-year-old parker sliding up and down these elevator sets, <laughs> right? He's like, no, I already know the last, I know what the last half of the first, of the last episode is. I know what to act all the way to the end, right? I, anytime they pull the plug on this, this half of an episode is already set to go. Wow. Right? I was like, damn. He's like, but I'm not going to tell you what it is because we don't need to worry about it right now. Right. It's just sitting there. I know what the arc will take us to. It's just how long does it take us to get there? Right. Not every show can do that. Some shows are a little bit more tightly plotted than that. But I feel like you shouldn't start a show if you don't know how it ends. Because you won't know how to tell it. You know, right. there was one right. show. There was one show I went up where I won't say which one on public airwaves, but um, I went in, I had to sign all these NDAs to even pitch the show, right? And I was excited because they showed me the pilot hadn't aired yet, and I had to do everything on the lot. I couldn't, like, nothing could be taken home. You had to come in, do everything there, and talk about it there, and then leave. Couldn't even take notes or anything, right? Like, wow, this is this pilot is insane. Like, this is gonna be the greatest show anyone's ever seen. Like, oh, I'm glad you like it. Rah, rah, rah. And I'm like, yeah, but it's a mystery. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, yeah, it really is. And we're gonna do this and this. Like, oh, blah, blah, blah. so how's it end? Right? And I wasn't confronting them. I was like eager, like, oh my God, we well, gotta tell me because you know I won't be able to pitch it if I don't know how it ends. Like, we don't know. And I was like, huh? Was this, was this lost? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm feeling lost vibes. <laughs> In my mind. Okay. Okay. It was about one of the characters. And I was like, but you know the secret of this character, at least. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. We don't. We don't. Why would we bother with that? And I was like, wow, it's a mystery show. It's a show about mysteries. You, you write mysteries from the back. You don't write them from the front. You have to know how it ends in order to start, right? Yeah. And I knew I wasn't going to get the job as soon as I said that out loud. I was like, no, I was just truly confused. How are you going to do it? It's like Agatha Christie knows who did it. When they write the story at the beginning, you you can't have a mystery who done it and you don't know who did it. <laughs> well, that was the that was the fundamental problem with Pretty Little Liars. Like they were supposed to figure out who this A person was, this mysterious person that was sending these letters. I think the same thing kind of happened on Gossip Girl, and I think they were just making it up as they went along. And by the by, you know, by you switch showrunners and you switch writers, and by the end, it's like we got to resolve the show. Well, who it, who is it? And the person they picked was very unsatisfying to the audience because they're like. That didn't, that doesn't make any sense. That person wasn't there when this happened. Like every like audiences tr- just know the audience is tracking your ass. And they're, they're smart. tracking characters. Yeah. They're they're yeah. following history. Yeah. And, if, and 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 what I feel like sometimes writers want to like sometimes there are shows where they want to make it up as they go along. You're not fooling anybody, especially at, you know at home where people can rewind and be like, oh wait, what just happened? What they just say? Right. You know. So it right. just like I totally agree with Jeff's line of thinking. Like if you have this type of mystery or this who done it or who who is the mystery like who's behind all all or the Cylons have a plan or whatever you better know damn sure yeah. what that plan is yeah, what the hell was the, the Cylons plan <laughs> <laughs> well that's why that show kind of you know lost its wheels <laughs> tires exploded Driving on the damn fucking, you know, the damn wheel sparking on the concrete, just pss, 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 
starting fires and shit as it's driving around. And oh, God damn. <laughs> 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 yeah, Chris gave us a full visual. The sparks and just like just standing in the street, and spraying bullets and shit. God damn. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, but I mean, like, and also you can get like you can get a thing where you did do all the right stuff, you do know it, but because of the internet. The audience who's tracking you, they're also talking to somebody in France who has a different take. And that thing you thought was really obscure that was going to fool an American audience, that French kid's like, oh, they're talking about Louis XV, that one wall in the Sun Palace, right? <laughs> Which an American would never know about, but would be obvious to a kid who studied basic French history, right? right? Just, oh, so that means this. So if we put that together, oh, right. clearly Hillier Guest is a culprit, right? Um, so I did it. I did it. But people live in fear of, I think a lot of the writers live in fear of, they're going to be smarter than us. They can't let them be smarter than us. Right, they get it before we right. tell them, then we're done. Right. And I'm like, no, all that means is that your audience is keeping up with you. So all you do is add a twist at the end. So yeah, it was Hilliard, but it was really Lisa making him do it all. <laughs> and that's the thing that they didn't expect. And then you saved, right? You didn't get fooled by anybody, but you got to think in advance. You got to be like, in case they get ahead of us, this is what we do. In case they figure out point X, then we got to be ready with point Y right away. As soon as we feel like there's a critical mass out there where they got it, then we're like, oh, you thought you got it, but really it's magic. So, ha, you know? Like well, I mean, look, you know what? I've been saying to this for the last three weeks on the show. There's a show, there's a French show that I'm watching called, it's called The Bureau. Okay. It's, it's so good at like, keeping you on the edge of your feet and the I mean I'm I'm almost at the end of season two but it's so well done in terms of like it's like it's like what you said Jeff it's like there's something that you begin to figure out because you're watching it but the last little reveal they did I was like oh okay, everyone, everyone, everyone. <laughs> that's in my queue since I'm done with small acts, I'm watching the next. Don't tell, don't, don't give it away. No, I'm not gonna give it away. <laughs> give it away. But, but the thing, is, the thing is that you said that's fucked up, and you said it. But that's the end of this first season. You're like, what? I need to watch season two right now right. because right. y'all done set some shit up. But the thing is, when it originally aired, they didn't have season two ready yet. So um, it's 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 a it's a good because it's not necessarily a mystery like you're saying, Jeff. But 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 you do want to add those things where you're pulling the rug. Mm-hmm. Out from beneath the yes. rug that that is beneath the feet of the people who are watching your show. See, I <laughs> say the mystery is the curiosity to me. Yeah, that's what keeps you going. Go ahead, you're a I'm smart sorry. audience. You just assume yeah, the audience it just is takes, smart. It takes strategic thinking in the writers' room. So maybe yeah. those first couple weeks, you don't break the 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 first or second episode or whatever. You spend time thinking about okay, we're this is where we're headed, and then we 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 think uh, if the audience is catching on, we pull the rug from under them and then it, we go to this. But if you start playing right. all this stuff out from the beginning, and I, I'm really like surprised sometimes at how little writers' rooms want to do that kind of planning and set times. And I get it. Like sometimes we're in a time crunch and you don't have, you know, the weeks to do it. And it's like, okay, you got to get in here right away and start, you know, start, here's your production starts in two months and here you go. But if you are given the time, like, or if I'm ever given a show, like, I mean, that first week, week and a half, two weeks, I'm like, that's all I'm doing right there is that, that big strategic thinking. And then you can go down to the tactical le- level yeah. of what, what, what specific beats are in each episode. Fine. Right. 
just right. arc of the whole season and mm-hmm. and the major. I feel like that's the play. job of a showrunner, right? I feel like that's sort of one of the baseline jobs of a showrunner who is a writer. Um, like, why are you the boss if not for that reason? Like, that's kind of the reason. Not every show, like you say, is that like doesn't really warrant all of that. Like, what is Felicity? It's not a. It's not a mystery. They're not going to suddenly reveal she's a cyborg at the end, <laughs> at the end of season one. This was all in her head. She's really crazy. No. Um, but you do have thematically, I think, you should be talking about something other than just what the show looks like it's about. Right? Like, there should be something underneath every season that this is what the season was about. Even if it's a show like, I don't know, Castle where you know every week they're going to be solving some wacky-ass mystery and bantering with each other and are they going to sleep with each other and all that. That's the wrapping paper. What's the season actually about? Right, right. Because that'll keep you on theme and every writer will know how to approach certain things and you'll get really fun stuff and the audience will feel that it's organic. They won't feel like you're just putting stuff in to put stuff in right. and maybe they get ahead of you, but they won't, they won't <laughs> buck if you change something because it will be on theme. Right. If they were wrong about something, they, they won't feel like you cheated them because the, the change will still be on the theme. Right. right. Um, but I do think Linnell's point is right that sometimes you just get in a speed mode. Like, you know, it took too long to get the show up. And now you don't have enough time to do everything you need to do. You don't have enough money like you were promised. You don't get any of the people you thought you were going to get. You got to scramble to put a team, the rest of the team together while running your room. You know, like, there there are many a horror story about, you know, the beginnings of shows that people tell after the 10th year. Oh, Jesus, if they had only known what well, we were going yeah. through. Like, what, yeah. Didn't you get divorced? No, she actually had a heart attack and died. But divorce will work for this conversation. I think, think Hobby talks about that with Lost. Like, there was a lot of yeah. crazy shit going on. You know, Crazy man. stuff. And, like, I know some of the people on um, uh, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Right when that had never really been tried on a TV show that was tying directly into the movie timeline that it was right. based off of, and everybody's fingers are on that show, and you know, and they had a lot of money, but they didn't have a lot of time, and you know, we the way the movies were being made, we don't really know exactly what's going to be in the next movie. So how can we make our season that's supposed to lead us into that next movie if you don't tell us what's in the next movie? But we'll tell you what we know. Well, why don't you know? Aren't you shooting that movie already? Yes, but we feel like whoa. Right. And mm-hmm. that's some producers can't handle it. They quit, which means, again, from the writing staff, oh, shit, we got a new showrunner, you know, not mis- maybe not with a different idea, but with a different way of approaching things. Right. right. Maybe all that story crap we did for the first two weeks is now out because I've got a better angle on all of this. So we're going to start from zero. But that's two weeks. And now we're at zero again. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and all the weird sort of differences in between that can happen, that can affect the quality of the storytelling. I always, I always think about also, once you get into production on the show, things shift in the scripts because of reasons out of you can't control. Like, for example, there might be something where the actress who plays, you know, the third fiddle, for example, turns out the audience is responding to them. And they go, wait a minute. We need, they, she needs, her. she needs her own episode. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? And that'll switch up everything. Yeah. yeah Michael you know, J. Fox. 
Exactly. You know, so it, it, it sometimes switches and you got to revamp. And, you know, of course, we all know sometimes because they spent so much money on said episode. Now the next episode two has to be a bottle episode. So now that has to shift. So you lose all those different things that you had planned and you got to condense and you got to edit. You know what I mean? So there's like so many reasons why these things happen, you know, that you can't control, you know. Or you've got two actors that, you know, you had, you thought you had the two actors that were supposed to be a couple together, you know what I mean? And then you see, oh no, she has better chemistry with Floyd over here. So no, now we build our love triangle and, she, and she's going to, like, I'm giving the Dawson's Creek example. Like, right. they thought it was Dawson and Joey are soulmates, you know, this is the show. And then by about season three, they realized, and I think it was Greg Berlanti, he was like, no, no, have Joey kiss Pacey. So then that sent the show in a whole different d- direction. Like, okay, no, these two are not the soulmates. Even though his name is in the freaking title, we're going to put the girl, you know, of the show with the best friend instead and see where that takes us. Right. Um, yeah, so sometimes the combinations you think that are going to work or whatever don't work. I mean, I've seen yeah. Shonda, Shonda Rhimes does this quite a bit. I mean, they'll, they'll bring characters on, and if it's not working or whatever, then they, they, they're gone. They're, or they just yep. get written off the show, or they're not there anymore. They, they move past it quickly. They, like, they're real quick to detect, this is working, this isn't. Don't stay with a, you know, a, a, you know, a losing horse, you know, one that's like limp or whatever. Like, just cut your losses and move on to something else. Yeah, <laughs> an audience response, like... You don't know till the show's on the air a lot of the time, but you can start to see in dailies. Like, yeah. Yeah. if a guest star comes on and they are crushing it and there's huge chemistry, and it's not necessarily sexual chemistry. Like, we just watched, I just watched some cuts on Magnum. I won't say what, I can't spoil it, obviously, but there's a recurring character I didn't know was a recurring character. I thought he was just a one off from the earlier seasons, but he's coming back and he's got really great chemistry with one of the regulars. And I was like, in my writer brain, I'm instantly, without even trying, going, oh, well, there's some things we can do here, right? There's some things we could do there. This Mm -hmm. guy needs to come back, basically, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's a nice guy. I don't know if the other actors like him. They may, I I literally don't know. But on screen, people are going to like that pairing. They just are, because it hit me the same way. I was like, oh, this is fun. Well, what you're, just, what, what you're describing is also, again, watch West Wing, right? So the character of Donna Moss, who was Josh Lyman's assistant, right. you know, she, she was a guest star that first season. She was just sort of popping in, hey, Josh, but the two yeah. actors, and it wasn't a romantic thing. The two actors had such great chemistry. They were like, oh, no, Josh, like, she's going to be a series regular next season. And yeah. then yeah. in season two, Josh, you know, Josh's love interest, which was Maura Kelly, a fine actress, but she was not brought back because she was just gone and never spoken of again. Like, she never even existed. Like, they just moved past it. Like, the show's going forward. Donna, the, um, I forget the actress' name, but who played Donna Moss. She's now a series regular because it was instant right away when it was like the yelling from his, you know, he's yelling from his, the Donna! Like, you know, yeah. the chemistry <laughs> they had, you know, dancing in the hallways. Yeah, yeah. And then whole character, she had a piece of paper and disappeared. I tell you what's funny about that, you know, it's like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking these, uh, I'm like, I'm doing these director workshops at the Beverly Hills Playhouse. I've been doing that for the last three months, just, just to stay sharp. And it's funny because you know, you go in there and you watch people work, and you kind of see, like, you see that chemistry, you know, and 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 and, and want to talk and say, hey, I want to work with you, and. 
and I'm work with you because I've seen you work before, or I've seen you work, in some, or I've seen other stuff that you've done separately. And I want to do this scene with you. And you can, and I mean, it's an interesting thing when you see that like, happening in front of you on set. It's, it's, uh, uh I mean, uh, again, it's one of the things that that I fucking love about, I love about directing is that you start seeing that kind of, you know, the, the materials up on its feet, how the people that you've hired to be in it to bring it to life. How are they, you know, they're breathing life into it in a certain way. And there's some people who just kind of like knock it out of the park. And you're like, that's just, you know, like, that's just way better than what I thought. You know, this was way better than, than, than what I envisioned was going to be. And that shit just, you know, as you as a director, you get a lot of credit for that. Even though it was just like, I just put two people together that I saw that they did that. But that's part of your job, too, though, is to see right. who, right. you know, like, what's that chemical mix that, you know, that's going to cause the explosion, you know? Um, it's really interesting to see that. Uh, like, it's happening, it. like, when they're rehearsing and shit like that. You can see it then, you know, because cause they yeah. play off each other. It's, it's, it's like, like, like a line is said, and they look, and, and, and they look the, the other person in the eye, and, the, and the, that person comes back in a way that's a nice, just a nice, like, like rejoinder. And that's not anything that the playwright or the screenwriter or whatever could even come up with. Um, it's, fa- it's fascinating. It's fascinating. I don't know I how to do that. It's in between the lines. You know, the writers like, also, the smart ones, when they see that, it does make their brain start working, right? And actors get upset um, down the line. It's like, well, how come so-and-so is whatever? It's like, look. I hate to break it to you, but these people are crushing my dialogue, like crushing. And like, if I put a pause in there and they respect it and it makes the scene do what I me- it's meant to do, plus they have this chemistry on top of it, it's not my fault, right? It's like they came to play. Sorry about it. You know, the audience liked Michael J. Fox more than they like Meredith Baxter Bernie. Sorry about it. <laughs> like, I, it isn't them's, them's, them's the facts. Them's the facts. Right? Like, and it's nothing against you, by the way. It's not like they don't like you. They just like homeboy more. Right? Or, and we try or, to keep or, this show on Urkel, Urkel on Family Matters is another example. Same exact thing, yeah. When, when people in the audience think, Jack A, when people think that these people are like muscling their way to the top of a show that wasn't theirs, that's not what's happening most of the time. Like ninety-eight percent, Fonzie for sure. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. You, you can you can lift out a character from any of these shows, and it's because that actor or that pairing of actors just made everybody go zing and sit up and be like, "What is going on over here?" Right. That, remi- that reminds uh, me of way going way back because uh, what's his name, the actor that played Swiggy on Laverne and Shirley. It reminds me when Shirley, Laverne and Shirley, when they would come on Happy Days, and they just had something. And they just like we got to do a spinoff show, yeah, and yeah. yeah, and then and even those characters, like even with Laverne DeFazio and Shirley Feeney, when they got their own show, yeah. Vinny and Squeaky were just kind of like, and, they, and after a while, that them coming in like, hello, they just kept bringing hello. them in. There's just something the dynamic, that energy, and it, and you can't, and after you can't be a hater like that. You just got to be like, hey, it is what it is. Sometimes that chemistry and it pops, and if it's going to keep the show on for a long time, you better shut your mouth. And be like, okay. Yeah. Hey, Jeff. And cash them checks. And cash them checks. Is that what happened with, because I know it, there's some stars. I don't know if this uh-oh. is every, I don't know if this is uh, every star. Uh-oh. 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 This is important. This is important. Is, is, when did it happen that stars would say, okay, I'll star in this new show, but I always have to get 
you know, one dollar more than anybody. So that in case the Urkel situation happens, Urkel doesn't make more money than me. I think that that's been going on since Hollywood started. I think okay. that um, what, it's ha- what will happen is generally I would say it's someone who's aging past whatever it was that made them the hot new thing. Mm-hmm. And then the new hot new thing shows up and they recognize it, but they can't acknowledge it verbally right. because then they're saying kind of like what Trump's doing right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Clearly the president, but I'm the president, but you're not going to be the president in January, but I'm the president. Not for life, man. Not forever. But forever, though, right? We, we kind of were, weren't we doing forever? No, we weren't Wait, ever. ever? <laughs> yeah, right. And I think it's the Egos are business. Like, a way that um, uh, the people in the general audience might think, where it's a bunch of egomaniacs running around, like, you know, and platinum roller skates and diamond-studded dog collars and crazy nonsense like that. But in terms of how much love they can eat up, right, there's a lot of that. And if some actor feels, if their ego's bent the wrong way and they feel like an actor who shouldn't be getting the amount of love from the audience and from whoever that they think is owed to them, then they're going to find a way to compensate and they'll go yell at their agent, you know, Let's say it's my show. Linnell's the new character. But they're the new character, dude. You've been doing the show for five years. Of course it's going to be heat on the new character. Because everybody knows your ass. They're showing up because you're here. Right? How do you think we got the five seasons, idiot? Right? But we got, we got to keep it fresh. So we got to bring in that new hotness. That's Linnell White. So there's going to be a lot of coverage of the new player coming on the field. Right? Yeah, well, you're paying her a lot. I found out y'all paying her a lot. Well, that's none of your business, but I mean, yeah, we're paying her what we think she's worth. Like, you got back for season six, I'm going to have to get a million dollars more than that. Because otherwise, yo, I'm out. Or make me a director or an EP, a real EP where I get to sit in and have creative input and all that. Like, you got to do something. Do we know? Because if you're this, if you're this, did I go away again? No, no it's your mic. I think it just picks up and it keeps going in and out. Well, I, I think his AirBuds or, or his AirPods might be low on batteries. Well, um, um, the other thing is like sometimes you'll put two people together and there's animosity. And then you'll have to write away yeah. from that. So yeah. those two can't be in the same scene together because behind the scenes, they these two actors hate each other. Right. So now we're having to adjust, you know, scripts to minimize how much they are they interacting in the same room right. together. Or, you know, yeah. like, or they write you off. You know, there's a character on um, The Good Wife, Kalinda, you know? Um, she got into some sort of beef with fucking uh, Julianne Margulies, and, and they were like, you got to go? Bye. She was, she was gone. Mm. And then they try to, like, buy uh, her my- off, you know, and, like, and they gave her some sort of, like, put pie the deal or something like that afterwards, but, but, but she got in the, but, but there was that animosity between them. And they were only in like, like had to be had to be seen, or they would just talk on the phone. They wouldn't even be in the scenes together. I was like, that's and wild. That comes from the bottom too. Wow. That come from I've heard I've heard multiple versions of that feud. Um, so we like to think it's always the star that's going top down. But sometimes the person who's getting the heat on them is like, well, I'm clearly the new hotness. So you know, why why is he getting that big ass trailer? Like. 
they showed up for me this year. You know they showed up for me because I was on the cover of People. She wasn't on the cover of People. Yeah, she was on the cover of People the last four years. Maybe getting paid. Yeah, but, you know, but I'm just saying, if I if I were to leave this show, you have been on two episodes. What are you talking about? I'm talking about next season. It's like, oh, damn, all right, fine, shit. You know, and then the star gets wind of that nonsense. And from their point of view, I'm not saying this is what happened, but from the star's point of view, who's this new motherfucker rocking my boat? Like, oh, you, you built this boat, and you're coming in here and messing shit up. It's not even whether you're right or wrong. You're messing things up. Right. Like, I, I got a mansion I got to support. Like, what are you talking about? I got servants and, and shit. Damn it. You know, all right, let, let's find out who the network likes best, young gun. Let's just see. Right, um, and you find right, out who right. makes the show next year. Who the network right. thought was the bankable right. star, right? So I mean, it's brutal in some ways. I don't think a business should be run like that, but I think the nature of how theatrical work works, I'm not sure you can do much more than minimize it. Like I don't think you can erase it because there's just like. What do they spend millions and millions of dollars on these projects? And, you know, if two of the people can't get along, you can go and bang your heads together and say, get along. Are you stupid? Like, how much are you making? Don't you have, like, a house in Bali? What are you doing? You know? Well, I don't like the way he eats corn chips at breakfast in the morning. Like, at the the breakfast table we're all doing? Like, and how come people are making eye contact with me on the set? What? What? You know? You know what I mean? Like, weird-ass shit. And it's all about their egos and their emotional issues. And you're not a psychiatrist, right? It's not your job to be a psychiatrist. Like, you you basically, what did it say? You're, you're assuring me that you're mentally stable by signing this contract. Right. <laughs> you turned out not to be mentally stable. I am not a medical professional. My job is to make the show go. So if you're so unstable that you're fucking up my show, see ya. Right, or the show goes away if it's about you. Right, if the show's about right. you, right, you're going to kill the show if you keep this up. And I have to have a long talk with you. Right, if you keep it up, the show's going to die. And I'm guaranteeing some people know <laughs> how that conversation can go sometimes. Yeah. Um, and then there's the there's sometimes a showrunner who's jealous of the star, right? And you're like, but the star's out front, dude. Of course. Of course, the the fans are going to run up on the the guy who's the lead in the show or the lady who's the lead in the show. That's who they see. Yeah, but I it came out of my mind. I'm the one who drives. Um, you're a writer. Like that's, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's just none of that is how this works. Exactly. You know. So if you want to be out front, you better get your ass out front. <laughs> Otherwise. It's not their fault that people think they're pretty. You thought they were pretty or you wouldn't give them the job. Exactly. Right. Right. So, I don't care. I awesome. literally don't care. Well, it drives me nuts. Well, thank you, guys. This was a cool little fun episode we did. Um, <laughs> we were just talking about a bunch of stuff. I love that shit. Um, Billiard, Billiard's yeah. living room. It was not the rant room. It was Billiard's living room. <laughs> I'm actually in my dining room. I'm not in any office right now. Um, so let's go ahead, uh, Linnell, uh, where are you at? Where should people follow you? Uh, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. I was, okay. Um, uh, on Twitter, at Linnell White. 
A uh, L Y N E L L E W H I T E. Had trouble spelling my own name there for a second. You know, <laughs> that's that's where we're at this year. Exactly. Where you, where you <laughs> at? Winter base man. Oh Christ! Just go to jeffreythorne.com. All the links are there that are um, necessary. Uh, I am just finished up being on Ghost, and I'm now on Magnum PI. Nice. Can you yeah. can you meet yourself after this? Yes, I can. I can meet Thank myself you. instantly. Gone. Huh, that's somebody else then. It's like just coming in a heavy. Um, where you at, Chris Derek? <laughs> Whatever it was, it just disappeared. So yeah, I'm at uh, unauthorized CBD on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and if you come to our website at screenwritersrr.com, you could probably contact me too because there's a contact l- link there. And you can support the page, you support the show there, and you can buy some goods there, like some T-shirts and some mugs. Um, So at ScreenwritersRR.com, and we're good. Awesome. Lisa, Lisa, Colt Jam. I am over at What Fresh Hell Is This on Twitter. I think I'm on IG. I don't know. I don't use those things. But no, I'm on there, but I see other people's little things pop up. So I'm there, but I don't really use, I'm not a gram girl. It's... You know, it's just not, that's just not me. Awesome. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show, Screenwriters RR on Twitter. <clears throat> Any questions, screenwriters, screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. Um, also, um, please go on Insta, um, Instagram. Please go on iTunes, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, whatever you guys listen to. Give us a five-star review. We need that for the metrics. Um, Chris already blasted the website screenwritersrr.com you got the Patreon there Um, lots of good stuff coming up in the new year but um, I just want to say this as we're going out Um, Linnell thank you again for you know our previous conversation Um, that was really important you know and um, just a note to everybody out there you know you guys have people in your lives reach out to them That, that shit's important so just know I love every one of you and, um, you know, hopefully 2021 will be a much better year for everyone. Um, hopefully Jeff won't have a good year because he's doing really too good. Um, <laughs> Stop it. I'm, I'm floundering. Floundering, my friend. <laughs> um, anyway, like I said, um, love all you guys. So everybody join with me for uh, Wakanda Forever. You guys know how we do it on The Rant Room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, everybody? Peace, y'all. Have a blessed one. I'ma say what I feel, and I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminished and the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring no game, then a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room. Red Room.